You're listening to sermon audio from Grace Mosaic, a congregation of the Grace DC Network in Northeast DC. For more information about our church, visit us online at gracemosaic.org. So there's a term that I think describes a very serious condition. This condition can break apart friend groups. It can cause emotional toil and angst. It can make you sad. It can can have you feeling lonely. Can y'all guess what this term is? Some of y'all good Christians might be thinking sin. What, did someone say something over here? Social media. media. That, That is connected to it. The term is FOMO. Have y'all heard of FOMO? The fear of missing out. You could be on social media and see what's happening on someone's Instagram story and be like, man, why didn't I get the invite? Fear of missing out. We feel that emotional angst and turmoil. Uh, Back in the day, uh, I say back in the day, a few years ago, Janelle and I had a dog. (laughs) Don't don't young people be like, back in the day, like we like 60 years old. I'm 31. Uh, (laughs) A few years ago, we had a a dog, and we would put him in the garage uh, when guests came over, and he would whine and howl and bark. Our dog, Coda, was experiencing FOMO. He wanted to be in the mix. Students, don't you experience FOMO when you have a, a, a paper due or when you got homework to do or you got a test the next day and all your friends are going out to get pizza or Rita's uh, you know, ice cream or, and, and such, and, you're, and your parents are like, or maybe your conscience is like, you better stay here and finish that paper. Because you say you're going to wake up early and do it, but you're not. You're going to sleep in. You're going to get a zero. Like, dang, FOMO strikes again. You see, the reality is FOMO can be really painful, and it can be um, distressing. But I think the church has the opposite problem. You see, Jesus is up to something amazing. Jesus has something spectacular going on. He is reaching the nations on a mission. He is spreading his word, his good news in every crevice and every place of our neighborhoods, cities, and communities. And guess what? So often we have no fear of missing out. We are very comfortable with missing out. We're very happy that somebody else other than us is doing the work, is out there reaching out, out there suffering for Christ, out there receiving rejection. Because if we're all honest, even me as a pastor, it's comfy to just be at the house and read your Bible, and just go about life without having to take risks and get out there and being on mission with Jesus. So I want to talk about, uh, today's going to be like a pep rally, kind of. I want to talk about the beauty and glory of God's mission. I just want to hype up Jesus' mission, and then I'm hoping we'll get a little bit of FOMO. I'm hoping I'll get a little bit of FOMO, too. So our main point, this is the whole sermon right here. Jesus is on a mission. Are you with him? Jesus is on a mission. Are you with him? That's it. It's the whole sermon. So I want to uh, look at three things about Jesus' mission to hype us up. Jesus' mission is scandalous. Jesus' mission is urgent. And Jesus' mission is successful. It's scandalous. It's urgent. And it is successful. So I'm going to start moving more quickly. Y'all with me? Yeah. All right. Uh, verses 27 through 30. So we see that Jesus is sitting here talking with the Samaritan woman. And his disciples were out getting lunch for Jesus and the crew. And so as they're coming back, we start to see the disciples' prejudice. They're sitting there. They're like, yo, what's going on here? Why is Jesus talking with a woman? We see that 
their prejudice is deep in their hearts. You see, Jesus was among many things a rabbi, which was a Jewish teacher. And in some Jewish thought in that day, it was risky for a rabbi to talk with a woman. Uh, At best, it was a distraction from the study of the scriptures, and at worst, it was spiritually dangerous. And then on top of that, this woman was a Samaritan. So back in that day, they thought that uh, Samaritans were kind of like a a half-blooded kind of mixture compared with the Jews, and they had kind of a bootleg version of the Jewish religion. So not only is Jesus talking with a woman, he's talking with a Samaritan woman. Now, you see, you might be sitting here thinking, like, Jesus' mission is scandalous. You know, what does that mean? You know, scandal is something that causes outrage at a perceived transgression against social customs or morals or norms. And what Jesus was doing here would have been outrageous to some during his day. It would have been a scandal. What we see here is that Jesus' mission reaches across sexes. He invites both men and women into his kingdom and affirms their equality. Women are not second-class citizens in God's kingdom. This would have been scandalous to the Jews. Jesus' mission reaches across race and class. Jesus invites Jews and Samaritans into his kingdom and affirms their equality. This would have been scandalous. You see, Jesus' mission reaches across social lines. You see, this woman was talking with Jesus alone here at the well because she was marginalized socially. She was a social outcast. But Jesus is committed to reaching those that no one else wants to be around. This would have been scandalous for a religious teacher to do. And you see, his mission reaches across political lines. He is pursuing people from every kingdom, nation, region, province, and he is inviting them into his kingdom. Have you ever been to a mosaic shop? My my wife and I went one uh, day a few years ago. We were just married, and we went, and we wanted to create a a piece of art for our, our home. And so we got a big C, a wooden C, and we laid it down on the table, and we started placing different pieces down on this seed and making artwork. And so we had a bunch of different containers and buckets laid out on the table. We had bullet shell casings. We had plastic. We had broken jewelry. We had beads. We had uh, 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 glazed. Uh, well, I'm not a, uh, art on, on the on the table. I'm not an artist. What is it? What, what is it when it's glazed and shiny? <laughs> Uh, so, yeah, so yeah, y'all, y'all, y'all put me on game afterwards. Um, I should know this because my brother's an artist, too. Um, and family, we were reaching into to these different containers and putting it down on this sea to make something beautiful. And family, this is what the mission of God looks like. Isn't this why we're called Grace Mosaic? God is sitting down at the table, and he's putting together all different types of pieces. You see, what the world would normally divide into different containers and stay amongst themselves, God is pulling into these different containers, and he's putting them down on a beautiful piece of art. You see, God desires to bridge ethnic divisions. You see, in Ethiopia, God desires to take a Romo and Tigray and Amhara and glue them down. You see, God desires to bridge class divisions. In Argentina, God desires to take indigenous and those of European descent and glue them down. You see, in Haiti, God desires to take the upper income and lower income and glue them down. You see, God also desires to bridge language uh, uh, divisions. In Canada, God desires to take English speakers and French speakers and glue them down. And God desires to do this overseas and across the street. He reaches into one container, grabs men and women, and glues them down. He grabs blacks and whites and Hispanics and Asian Americans and glues them down. He reaches into one and grabs insiders, into another and grabs outsiders, and he glues them down. He takes Republicans, and then he takes Democrats and independents, and he glues them down. 
He takes all different kinds of people, and he is making a beautiful piece of art called the church. And God has called us to be a part of this mission. We are meant to be a part of this mission. You see, our world is full of hostility and division. We all want to be in our own separate containers. But God is bringing people back together by the cross of Christ. And so, family, could it be that we're like the disciples, that we're shaped by the world's divisions and prejudices? Reality is, oftentimes, the church, that we, we, we don't take our marching orders from Jesus, but we take our marching orders from the world. The church oftentimes looks more like the world than God's vision for it. You see, this present age, the Bible calls this, this present age or this present generation, it is shaped by division. You see, that there's these passages in like books like Ephesians where it says, you know, that Jesus will, uh, will, will unite all things and, and, and every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. You're like, wait, what? Heaven, earth, under the earth? Like, what is Jesus talking about there? His goal just isn't to save individuals. His goal is to unite the whole universe, every realm of it, under his lordship. And if his goal is to unite us all under his lordship, divisions are a problem. What would it look like for us to engage in this scandalous mission? To talk to people and then our friends around us are like, why are you talking with that person? To go out to eat with our Christian friends and people looking at the table like, I see a Chinese person, a black person, and I see a white person. And they all hanging out together having fun. What's going on here? Right? And they all look different. They all got different clothes on, different styles on. What, like, why are these people sitting at the table together? And you at the table know you're sitting there because of Jesus. That's the uniting concern. What do it like to move into neighborhoods and to, and to engage in different places of business with people who are across the dividing line as us? And it's beautiful because this church has adopted that and has embodied that. But Jesus is calling us deeper. He's calling us to press deeper into the scandal of his mission. What would it look like for us to trust Jesus? See, the thing is, Jesus is not scared where I'm scared to go. Jesus is not scared to go where you're scared to go. He's not scared to talk to the people that you're scared to talk to. He's not scandalized by the people that you're scandalized by. What would it look like for you to invite Jesus into the inner places of your heart and deal with those fears, those prejudices, those doubts, those worries, those insecurities, and trust him by taking that step out into further frontiers? of God's scandalous mission in your own life. Not frontiers out there because Jesus is everywhere, but frontiers in your own life. Second thing about Jesus' mission, number one is scandalous. Second is urgent. Jesus' mission is urgent. And we see this in verses 31 uh, through uh, 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 38. So basically what's happening here is, remember Jesus is talking with the woman, his disciples come back and they're being awkward so the woman's like, all right, I'm going to go and be on mission. And so she goes to the town, and she starts telling people about Jesus. And now the whole town is coming on the horizon because she's witnessing. She's like, she has had a personal experience with Jesus. And she's like, y'all, come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Essentially, that's code for, like, come and see a prophet. Come and see somebody who's special. Somebody who really piercingly ministered to the deep places of my life. Come and see him. So they're like, all right, let's go see him. So the whole town is coming on the horizon, and it's funny, because while this is happening, Jesus is sitting there talking with his knuckleheaded disciples, 
teaching them about mission. So when, when I say urgent, Jesus' mission is urgent, some of y'all just got a little anxiety, right? Because y'all feel like, you know, especially those, you know, those of us who just got all different kind of things going on in life, um, young kids, a bunch of young kids and everything, like we feel like everything in life is urgent, right? You spend most of your life trying to prevent your kids from hurting themselves while trying to do all different balancing. You got different friendships that go on and you don't have kids. You have friendships, family relationships, jobs, uh, extracurricular activities as a student. You have a lot going on, and you feel like if you drop the ball, bad things are going to happen. That's why it's urgent. But family, Jesus' mission is urgent in a different way. It's almost like this. You, you, you want a championship team. And you know your team is going to win because y'all are just sick like that. Like, y'all are going to win. But you're injured, and you, it is urgent for you to get in the game. But it's not because if you don't get in the game, something bad is going to happen. It's urgent for you because you want to be a part of something amazing. You want to get on the field because you want to say you played in the championship game where y'all won. It's almost like that somebody called you and said, hey, you have an all-expense-paid vacation to Disney World. You know, we got the villa ready for you. We got everything planned out. We got the fast, uh, what is it called? The fast pass at Disney World. We ain't been uh, with our kids yet. But you, you, can, you can skip all the lines, you know. And, and they say, all, all you got to do is go. It's urgent, not necessarily because something bad is going to happen if you drop the ball. It's urgent because you want to jump into something amazing. That's, 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 that's how it is with Jesus' mission. It doesn't even depend on you. Jesus is going to get it done without you. Is urgent because something amazing is going on, and we want to hop in. The burden rests on his shoulders, and we just want to, we, 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 we want to roll with him in his mission. The text says this. Jesus basically communicates this to his disciples with two popular sayings during his day. In verse 35, there are yet four months, then comes the harvest. And then verse 37, one sows and another reaps. So the saying, there are yet four months, then comes the harvest, He's pointing to the fact that there's a separation of time between when you put the seed in the ground and then when the crops come up. Jesus is saying, look, y'all, ain't no separation in time. I literally just had a conversation with my sister here at the well, and now the whole town is coming on the horizon. He's saying jump in is urgent. The harvest is ready right now. The other saying, one sows and another reaps, it talks about the fact that there's teamwork in, in, in agriculture. There's, there's teamwork in farming. It, it takes multiple hands. But Jesus here is saying, like, man, I'm a one-man band. Y'all were out buying bread, and I was doing the work. And y'all are coming, and he's basically, they, the disciples contributed nothing. They were actually being weird. They were, they were a stumbling block in the mission. Jesus is like, look, I have done it, and I'm inviting you to jump in. Reality is, the disciples contributed nothing to what Jesus did. They were jumping into what Jesus was already doing. Family, that's how it is with us. We are just jumping in to what Jesus is already doing. Jesus in Matthew 16 promises that he will advance his church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. He also says in Ephesians 2, like we talked about last week, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God has already prepared them. He's already set it up. All we got to do is walk in it. Not only that, Philippians 2 tells us that it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. We don't even have the desire and the energy to do it on our own. It is God who brings the desire. It is God who brings the energy. And not only that, when's the last time you breathed on somebody and brought them to eternal life? 
It don't work like that for me. God is the one who convinces people. God is the one who opens up hearts. God is the one who brings people to life. All we got to do is jump in and be faithful. So take courage and hop into the mission. Here's another reason why it's urgent. It's urgent because it's joyous. See, in verse 34 and 36, uh, Jesus says some, some pretty, like, intense stuff. Like, and it's, it's hard to tell, like, what's really happening here. Jesus, they're like, uh, Jesus, eat. And he's like, I'm not hungry. And they're like, hey, did somebody, did somebody give him some food? He's like, no, my food is to do my father's will. Like, like Jesus is intense. I don't know if he's being figurative or literal. Like, I think it might be literal. Like, he's like, I'm literally not hungry anymore because I'm fired up. Um, but I think also figuratively, he's like, man, it is a joyous and satisfying thing to be on mission with Jesus. It brings joy and satisfaction. I want you to think about your favorite meal. Just, just, just think about a meal that you love and, like, what it was like when you were full off of it. You know, you were just hungry. You were, you were waiting to get to the restaurant or you get to, that, to the person's house, and you ate the meal, and you were just full. That's what being on mission with God is like. You are full. Another image Jesus associates with his mission is celebration. He, he talks about a harvest festival. He says that, hey, I want y'all to be on mission with me so that the, 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 the sower and reaper may rejoice together. He says, already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. It's almost like a harvest festival. Have y'all thought about a harvest festival? Really thought about a harvest festival? Why are we uh, festivaling when there's a harvest? Have y'all thought about that? It's because we're not going to die this year. Because there's a harvest. Food is here. God gave us food. That's why there's always a party. And when the Bible, when it talks about feasting, bringing in the first fruits, that's why they didn't have Kroger and, uh, and, and, and Food line and everything. That's what it's like to be on mission with Jesus. When the harvest comes in, we rejoice. We're like, Jesus, you are bringing in people for eternal life. Could it be that we are missing out on the satisfaction and joy that comes with serving Jesus in risky and scandalous ways? Could it be that you're in a spiritual plateau right now or in a spiritual dry place, not because you're not reading your Bible enough, not because you're not praying enough, but because you aren't engaging on Jesus' mission with him? You aren't having to rely on him because you're not sharing your faith. You're not having to rely on him because you're not pressing deeper into service in those areas that are uncomfortable. Maybe you're not reading the Bible and praying because you don't have, we haven't walked with him in, in, in a place where we really truly feel our dependence upon him. Some of the most joyous and satisfying seasons of the Christian life for me have been watching God use me, my knuckleheaded self, to do amazing things, to watch him bring people to faith, to watch God transform people's lives just through simple faithfulness and sharing the gospel. Jesus' mission is joyous. Jesus wants us to embrace joy with him. Lastly, Jesus' mission is not only scandalous, joyous, but it's also successful. Jesus' mission is successful. So check it out. So the, the, the people are, the town is coming. They meet up with Jesus, and they're like, hey, man, come stay with us. And they're like, and, and he's like, great. And so they're staying in the town with the Samaritans for two days. Now, there's a lot of strange things happening in this passage right here. So remember the, the, the woman, she's a social outcast, right? This person who is a social outsider becomes a spiritual insider because of Jesus. So the social outsider goes to reach these spiritual outsiders 
so that they can become spiritual insiders. Like she is reaching out to the people who marginalized her. She said, hey, come and, to- and see a man uh, who-, 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 who told me everything I ever did. Also, another thing is that this woman is killing it. She's only been in, the, uh, uh, in seminary for one day with Jesus. Well, the disciples have been in seminary for I don't know how long, been following Jesus everywhere. And Jesus has to say, all right, guys, here we go again, back to Mission 101. And the whole town is coming, and they have welcomed Jesus. Not only that, but Jews and Samaritans are hanging out. They didn't do that. I imagine, you know, if, if, if we just use our imagination, they're staying in each other's homes. They're eating meals together. They're hanging out. They're having worship services where they're coming and hearing Jesus preach and teach. They're, they're praying together. Here you, here you have Jews and Samaritans hanging out together. And you see, they, they call Jesus the Savior of the world. This is actually a rare term in the Bible. It only actually happens twice in the Bible. And John is, is, the, is the person who uses it both times. And I think there's something interesting happening here. You see, the Messiah uh, was the Jewish word for the king who would come to bring God's kingdom. It was like a David-like figure. And the Tehev was a Samaritan's word for their end-time figure who would come and bring restoration to all things. But Jesus isn't just the God and the Savior of the Samaritans and not just the Jews. He is the Savior of the world. Here are two different people who would not hang out with each other at all, and they're united under their common concern for Jesus and the life he brings. Y'all, his mission is successful. And isn't that encouraging? Like Like you are on the winning team. Like you are light. Have you ever thought about like that darkness and, and, and light cannot stay with each other. The light always wins. Light always advances and darkness always retreats. You know, I thought about this the other day. Have you ever heard of anything called a flash dark? We've heard of a flash light. You turn it on and the darkness has to run away. It's because darkness does not win. Darkness cannot scare away light. That's what it's like with the church. When we know we go on mission, we know that darkness has to retreat. That sin has to retreat. That hopelessness has to retreat. That lack has to retreat. That despair has to retreat. That violence has to retreat. Because we are with Jesus. And he has been given all authority and power in the universe. Jesus' mission is always a success. Now, as I close, I want us to look at something we see in, uh, early in the narrative, John tells us that all this is happening, and it says in chapter 4, verse 5, a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Now, you see, I think Joseph and Jacob are important for our narrative. Now, earlier they were talking about water because of Jacob. Those were Jacob's wells. If you're familiar with Jacob's narrative, wells were a big part of his story. God gives him well. Back, back then, you know, uh, wells were important because that means you could... You're, you could have water and drink, and, you know, and it means that you could survive. And it was also a, a prosperity thing. Your animals could, could, could also uh, drink from the well. So, and Jacob had a lot of wells. He was, he was a wealthy man. And so the woman asked Jesus, are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus is basically like, yes, I am greater than Jacob. I give living water. But guess what? Jesus is also greater than somebody else. Jesus is greater than Joseph. And I think this is why they start talking about harvest imagery after they were talking about water imagery. 
So if you're not familiar with Joseph's story, uh, basically he was one of the sons of Jacob and his brothers sold him into slavery in Egypt. And he was, being fa- he was falsely accused of trying to sleep with his master's wife and he was imprisoned and he was, in, 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 he was imprisoned and he had two uh, uh, cellmates in prison uh, and he was basically chatting with them and they had dreams and he correctly interpreted their dreams. One, uh, uh, the, the dream meant he would die and the other meant that he would be restored to Pharaoh's court. He said, when you get to Pharaoh's court, remember me. And guess what happened? The guy forgot Joseph. But one day Pharaoh had a nightmare, and Pharaoh, hearing of Joseph's ability to interpret dreams, suddenly the guy remembered. Pharaoh said, hey, bring Joseph to us. So they washed him up and gave him a haircut, and they put him before Pharaoh. And basically, Joseph revealed to Pharaoh that God was going to bring seven years of abundance throughout all of Egypt, but then God was going to bring seven years of extreme food shortage. And so Joseph proposed to Pharaoh, he said, set over the land, uh, uh, Joseph proposed that Pharaoh set over the land a wise and discerning man to govern Egypt so that they would be able to save up food during the years of the famine. And Pharaoh was amazed by Joseph's wisdom, his ability to interpret dreams. And so he said, since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Here's the thing, Joseph became the Lord of the harvest. And the Bible tells us that Joseph stored up grain in great abundance like the sand of the sea until he ceased to measure it, for it could not be measured. You see, family, Jesus is not only greater than Jacob because he gives living water, but he is also greater than Joseph because he is the Lord of the harvest. You see, whereas Joseph was gathering in a harvest of grain that could not be numbered. Jesus is gathering in a harvest of people, a great multitude that no one can number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, Revelation tells us. You see, whereas Joseph was reaping for seven years and then seven years of famine came, Jesus will not stop reaping until the end of the age. The harvest will not stop. You see, and whereas Joseph's faith and administrative genius blessed all the nations, people came to Egypt from all around to receive food. Jesus' own faithfulness and kingly reign will bless every crevice of the earth because he is the Lord of the harvest. You see, whereas Joseph's brothers bowed down to Joseph because God made him Lord of Egypt, God has bestowed upon Jesus the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. And you see, whereas Joseph himself went through prison in order to be in the position to gather in the harvest, Jesus himself didn't go to prison, only prison. He went through death in order to be in the position to gather in the harvest. Jesus is not only the gatherer of the harvest, he is the seed that makes the harvest even possible. Jesus said this in John 12, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And then he says, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. You see, just as a grain must die in order to bring in the harvest, Jesus had to die in order to bring in the harvest. And us sitting here right now is evidence of his harvest. 
Jesus right here, right now, is bringing people to himself. Family, Jesus is inviting you into this mission. He's inviting you into it right here, right now. He invites you to harvest with him. You see, his mission is scandalous, his mission is urgent, and his mission is successful. Will you join him? Let's pray. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Grace Mosaic. For more information about our church, visit us online at gracemosaic.org.